Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. With all the whale activity on the central coast of New South Wales, I'm excited to be here talking to Skipper Jones from Terrigal Ocean Tours and Ronnie Ling from the Marine Wildlife Rescue Central Coast. You guys seem to be in amongst all the action lately. What's going on? Well, I think uh, we've got a fantastic season. We've got uh, really clear water and uh, really good weather, calm seas. We've sort of missed a couple of years of the migration through both COVID and last year with all the, uh, the flooding and the dirty water. And the population's been growing while we've been um, off the scene. So now we've got a yeah huge population of whales and it's becoming an amazing uh, migration along our coastline. You've seen some very interesting animals coming up there as well, right? Big highlight was, of course, the uh, pygmy blue whale, a very rare sighting, perhaps only uh, eight sightings in New South Wales over the last 100 years. So again, they often uh, travel a bit offshore, but possibly with the... Uh, the really calm weather and the crystal clear water it came in close to the coast and we had a fantastic sighting what are you doing out there ronnie on the boat do you go with the guys and investigate what's happening or a lot of my stuff is actually based on shore and we work in in tandem with um terrigalation tours at collecting data and that on on the animals that are actually migrating and it's um you know it's a wonderful relationship we've got with the uh skipper and his company and and there's such great contributors to our data and um the sort of things we look at are the water temperatures the water depths uh the gps location the directions of travel the amount of animals that are there the size of the animals there's so much that we collect from that and, and the skipper has always been the first to volunteer to help us out with that. The photographs that I'm seeing coming back and some of the, the the video footage is pretty amazing. And I see there a lot on social media where when people are taking photographs of the animals, they can identify the animals from before. Is that correct? If you look at a humpback's tail fluke, there is individual as fingerprints. So if you're able to match the tail flukes that you, you photographed today, with animals that have been photographed previously, you can then go through the database, see when and where they've been uh, photographed before. What kind of age would they be then? Well, if you look at something like Migaloo, he was uh, first sighted when he was about 15. Last year was the first year he hadn't been sighted for a long time. He's probably up around 45 years old. Really? Some other animals could be just calves from last year and some you know, this might be their 20th or 30th migration north. Is it this time of year? So is it usually, what's it, winter when these animals migrate, is it? The migration always commences in um, May in our area. So the whales have been down in the Southern Ocean feeding up on krill as the uh, feeding part of their life cycle. But now it gets very cold and stormy down in the Southern Ocean in winter and uh, the whales head north. So the main reason why they're heading north is to uh, have their calves up in the warm waters of the Coral Sea. The calves, when they're born, don't have enough insulation to uh, survive down the Southern Ocean. So the mums are swimming about a 4,000 kilometre journey to have the calves up in the warm waters of places like Harvey Bay and the Whitsundays. And uh, there they can uh, rest and feed up the calf starting to build up its strength for the uh, return trip home. So they're coming through our area from uh, May through to July, heading north. 
uh, most of the calving and the breeding happens in August. And then the mums bring the uh, calves south again in uh, September, October. You see all the activity when you go out there on the boat and you see them breaching. On one of the days I saw that they breached like 30 times. Is that correct? Yes, sometimes uh, they'll breach you know, numerous times. So you know, I think two days ago we had one breached all the way from Womble Beach up to uh, Shelley Beach. So about 45 minutes of uh, you know, breaching you know, very regularly. So it was probably about 30 breaches. The whales are looking very uh, healthy this year, very um, very fat. So I guess they've had a good uh, feed of krill in the Southern Ocean, which gives them lots of energy. And now as they come north, they're having fun there. It's been a good migration and they're uh, breaching and uh, doing plenty of play. What is that breaching behavior? They do it for a number of reasons. So um, they can do it to chase off a predator like a shark they can do it to displace parasites like uh, whale lice this time of year they're getting ready for the breeding so they the males breach to show off to the females to be the uh, dominant male whales are very incredibly intelligent animals they've got a, a massive brain we've seen you know a lot of playful behavior and i think a lot of the times they're breaching uh, just for fun just for the joy of it you can tell that from them that they're happy yeah oh definitely yeah how close do they get to the boat so we um cruise along beside them generally about 100 meters away if they're breaching that's a good distance to be away but occasionally they get inquisitive and they get interested in us yeah they do occasionally come over to us and sometimes yeah they're only like 10 meters away or something if they're particularly cheeky like they're watching yeah they do lift their heads out of the water and look some whales are very shy and they'll head away from you they'll avoid you and then others are really uh, cheeky and inquisitive and they'll come over to you they're not dangerous in that they're not aggressive right is it no they're generally um, what they call altruistic they're very uh, caring about other uh, animals and and uh, particularly mammals and marine mammals however the males when they're uh, being dominant and trying to outcompete each other to uh, be the dominant male to breed with the females they do get very boisterous so yeah it's important to stay away from them not get too close but yeah we've never had a whale be aggressive it's always been a um a playful boisterous sort of behavior i guess that's the advantage of going out with the experienced crew is that we can read the, the whale's behavior and make sure that the experience is safe. Do you stay off a particular side of the whale or how do you gauge that where the whale's going to swim to or how do you not get in front of them you know? <laughs> it's just experience. I've learned a lot over the years and it's very much about not rushing in there. The whales are very vocal communicators so we don't they can hear the engine noise under the water so we don't want to go rushing in there and uh, startling them. Yeah we will spoil the experience if they take off. So we travel at a yeah, good distance away from them. They get comfortable, realize that we're not a threat to them yeah that's the way we get the best sightings and they actually actually tend to come up to the surface more when uh they're near us and they're not threatened by us and yeah they're in interested in us do you ever put a camera down into the water to try and film them or is it too far away i have a couple of times but it's normally too far away and if they do decide to come over to us it's um, often too quick and um you wouldn't get time to get a camera down anyway you wouldn't go in snorkeling there with them in new south wales you're not permitted to go in uh, snorkeling with them unless you have a, uh, a particular permit they're protected right 
Yeah, they're protected in New South Wales. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of guidelines to make sure both the whales are safe and that uh, that we are safe. I guess that's what's contributing to the numbers, right? So you, you're getting a lot more numbers because they have that protection. You still hear stories like they hit ships because you get a lot of boat traffic, especially around the Newcastle area coming in. Is that a problem for them? Yeah, definitely in um, very busy shipping lanes, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere. Fortunately, our shipping isn't as busy, so we don't get a lot of um, reports of ship strikes. They do get entanglements, so the um, tangled in uh, fishing traps, the ropes and buoys off them, and uh, traditionally the uh, the traditional shark nets that we have along the uh, the coast. They're probably the uh, the bigger hazard. They've brought out those new shark drum lines that will hopefully have less impact on uh, on the whales, and we're hoping they'll yeah stop using the uh, the old shark nets that were uh, more damaging. What's the situation with the shark nets now? Are they they're not putting them back in, or they are? What way is that? What's the circumstances there, on General consensus is that uh, the majority of the public don't want them to go back in, but it's purely in the hands of the politicals at the moment, and. Um, you'll find that the state government are the body that is actually in control of it. However, some politicians are claiming that local government has the ability to say not to put them in. And a a bit of a buck pass around there on a lot of those issues. But when it's all said and done, you know, they are antiquated. They're 1930s um, mentality uh, pieces of um, death, out there they're all they are is nets of death and uh, they don't discriminate between shark species or even whatever else is in the ocean so um hopefully uh if politicians really stick by the words um on the central coast our shark nets won't be going back in in september that's coming into the spring is it that's when you start traditionally putting them in first of may is when they go back in uh sorry first of september they come out on the 1st of May, but it actually, when they put them in, coincides with the mother whales bringing back their calves. And um, it, it's horrific to see whales actually caught in shark nets because there's a lot of panic. Um, there's a lot of action. Uh, it's very dangerous for the people to disentangle the animals. Um, and it also calls in predators when you get a distressed animal as well. Um, I remember once up at Nora Head, where there was a humpback calf caught in a, a shark net and um, eventually the animal was released from the net. Uh, the mother was very protective of that animal. Some people were lucky not to get hit on a jet ski by the tail. Anyhow, the animal was released and it was only about 10 minutes later, a really big white shark come cruising the beach, you know, and so sound out there, the, the struggles of the animals in the net, can just make it even more dangerous for anyone involved. That sounds great because I'm going diving at Nora Head on the weekend. <laughs> so now I'm thinking about white sharks. What other animals are coming in with the whales? Like you obviously are seeing whales and then we saw that amazing... Pygmy blue whale. Pygmy blue whale, right. What other animals are we seeing out there that we don't normally see or we're seeing more of maybe? Uh, we get a variety of uh, birds come in. So a lot of the marine life uh, heads south in the southern waters where there's uh, much more fish to eat over summer when conditions are a bit milder. Then uh, now it's getting very cold down there, so they uh, a lot move north. So we start to get um, albatrosses come in, the black 
browed albatross, the gannets. We had some uh, skewers. So they're a, uh, a bird that goes right down to the Antarctic, the Antarctic skewer. What's that? A big uh, brown fluffy bird. If you watch the uh, movie Happy Feet with the little penguins, then the nasty birds trying to steal the uh, penguin chicks. Yeah. Oh, do they dive like the way the gannets dive? No, they're a big, fat, fluffy bird. So they just hang around on the surface and get um, get the scraps off feeding frenzies, really. Um, we've got uh, the fluttering shearwaters, another migratory bird. So a lot of the wildlife moves around with the seasons and the currents. So the uh, fluttering shearwaters actually do a... Um, 20,000 kilometer migration uh, from here up into the uh, sort of Aleutian Islands off Japan, right across the North Pacific, down the uh, US coastline and uh, to about California. Then they jump on the trade winds and come right across the, uh, the Pacific Ocean back to uh, Australia. So they, they'll be turning up. Like a big square. Yeah. They're, and they're tiny little birds. They can dive about 60 metres underwater and actually swim underwater chasing fish. Really? Uh, so they're a bit of a highlight that we'll get at the end of June. And, uh, yeah, the seals uh, come north. So a lot of the seals move south down to Montague Island during summer as it gets a bit too hot for them. Don't they have colonies, right? The seals have... Yeah. Do they have colonies? There's a colony. The main colonies are down in southern New South Wales, but we've got a colony that's recovering in uh, Broken Bay. What do you mean recovering? What what does that mean? Well, they, much like the whales, they used to um, hunt the seals um, in the early part of the century, and they were pretty much wiped out from our part of New South Wales. Right. It's only really been in the last six years that they've started to uh, re-establish their colony at uh, Baranjoey Headland. Ronnie, you've been monitoring those seals. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, Skipper does it with me as well. Right. We keep an eye on the numbers, and even individual seals is quite noticeable at times. Skipper will tell you they have their favourite haul-out spots. Certain seals sit on certain rocks, you know, that's their rock to sit on. And we also find these seals travel as well. They'll travel up the coast to places like Nora Head and that, and but they'll also go into Brisbane Water, they go into Tugra Lakes, and uh, at the moment we've got one around um, Saratoga Davis Town in Brisbane Water, swimming around there, which is one of the animals from off that colony. What about dolphins? You get you get dolphins. I was in Foster there a couple of weeks back, and there were a lot of dolphins. This time of year, we often see big pods of um, common dolphins heading north, and these pods could range from ten animals to to thousands of animals in the water and it's like the ocean boils and these are these are a smaller dolphin than our bottlenose dolphins and they're much more streamlined and um, travel a lot more quickly through the water and i'm sure skipper's seen quite a few of the bigger pods of dolphins particularly those uh, common dolphins out there you mentioned that this year is different than last year with regard to rainfall and the clarity in the water. What's the reason for that? It's surprising when we uh, haven't seen as many dolphins uh, this year as I think we have in previous years. And that could well be uh, because the conditions are so good down south, they're uh, still feeding up down there. Yeah, we do get pods of 
100 or 200 of these common dolphins and they're the playful spirits of the sea they really love to engage with the boat swim alongside and uh show off yeah they're always great to see right okay it makes a bit of sense now because i've been noticing that when we're diving the water temperatures around 18 degrees and previously it was like 20 21 uh the bureau of meteorology have indicated that we're moving into a uh, el nino weather pattern and that's uh basically where a warm tongue of water extends from South America out into the Pacific. And uh, we get a cooler uh, water on our uh, east coast of Australia. So obviously, uh, rainfall relies on uh, evaporation from the ocean. So if, if our Pacific Ocean near our coastline is cool, you get less evaporation, and then you get uh, less rainfall obviously pollution affects the animals right so rainfall comes pollution because you know you get all the you're getting the water from the land but you're also getting everything else that goes with it right so whatever goes into the drain goes into the sea eventually right do you see much evidence of that out there when you're on on the boat you can like do you see floating plastic or anything or is it pretty clear so if you remember the bad bushfire year in 2019 so then we had yeah very cold water off the coast which means yep limited evaporation and uh, limited rainfall causes the drought from our point of view it keeps uh, less rainfall keeps the ocean cleaner where we are we've got the hawkesbury river the biggest river in this part of new south wales uh, discharges and then the ocean currents bring it north to us so that really affects the clarity of the water yeah this year you know it's amazing clarity so the whales will avoid murky water is that it's it's purely a survival thing then is it they, they obviously there's you know sharks around and they need to be able to see what's going on so yeah, certainly during the floods last year we uh saw everything from water tanks and uh, fridges floating parts and uh yeah obviously the pollution the plastic pollution and uh yeah, bits of rubbish all getting you know washed out of the hawkesbury river we certainly see that it um can smother what the sea grasses around in the shallow water at the terrible haven and that's you know important food source and uh, nurse areas for uh, small fish and even uh, turtles that we get occasionally feeding in the area uh, so yeah definitely um more pollution i think the whales it's probably more of a uh, visual issue they like to be able to you know see and look for predators and that type of thing so last year when there was murky water off the coastline we'd see the whales swimming down towards you know, a murky uh, area and they'd turn out to sea uh, to avoid it. That's why this year we're seeing so many close to the coast because the water's so clear. Yeah, they're just loving travelling along the coastline. And you've also been the runoff decreases the salinity in that area as well. You know, so that has a dramatic effect on the animals as well. As we know, marine creatures are from marine environment. Once you start changing that environment, they're going to move further away from it as well. So what you're saying is that when the fresh water comes in, and mixes with the seawater salinity goes down is it and then the animals are affected by that and then they'll move away from it is that yeah we could see it very plainly when we were you know, watching from the coast last year absolutely and you've got to also think too when that's running out and, and washing down it's taking with it lots of soil lots of dirt and that with it as well you you often see the big brown plume from where the rivers go out with all the um 
soil and um, all the other dirt that it takes with it. Yeah, so that's on a delta, right? That's how you get those river deltas. and They flow up our coast. You've seen it a fair bit, haven't you, Skipper, where the um, you get the big black dirty tides up and down the coast, brown tide. Yeah, yeah definitely. And last year, um, it was very obvious. So it's very easy for me to imagine that, Skipper, you're out there and you're just showing people whales, right? You're, you're getting a boat, you bring people out, you say, look at the nice whales. But in reality, you're actually quite connected to the sea. I've been mucking around on uh, boats and uh, involved with caring the, uh, for the marine environment for a very long time. When I was a young lad, about 15, I used to go sailing around the Hawkesbury River and uh, looking at the area where the seal colony is of course there were no seals there it's been wiped out so uh, it's been fantastic to um and to be able to see uh, conservation and moving ahead yeah, issues like the seal colonies and the whales are recovering so it's been a big part of my life i've done a lot of um traveling on yachts overseas across oceans yeah i really enjoy being able to share yeah, those experiences with our guests a fantastic passion for me so it's great to be able to share it with other people and make it my work it's very easy for me to see the Terrigal ocean tours and just to think of it as just being a whale watching but you're saying it's a lot deeper than that you go into the depths of it which is quite actually interesting when skipper takes his people out on the boat it's not just out there seeing whales he's actually doing great educational out there as well he talks to them about the animals he tells them of the habits he tells them about migration he tells them how to protect the animals he even tells them about native history the the aboriginal culture to whales and so it's not just taking them out there. That's a real educational experience when you go out with him. What is it about the ocean that keeps you there? What is it that you love about it? It's great to be able to um, escape the continent, get away from uh, yeah the masses of uh, people. Yeah, you find a bit of solitude out on the ocean and you see um, yeah, beautiful things that other people on the land don't see. And I guess it's, yeah, it's great now, particularly to take, for example, a, a young child out there that's um, you know, very nervous initially about being on the boat, but often uh, by the end of the trip, you know, they've had a great time and they've seen some amazing things. And when we get back to the shore, you know, they're all smiles and giggles and very confident on the boat. So it's great to see uh, see someone have a great experience and um, yeah, maybe give them a, an eye into another part of the world that they've never seen. What was a standout moment? I was very lucky to uh, sail over to uh, Borneo and see uh, the orangutans in the wild in Borneo. We were able to see the uh, Komodo dragons. That was uh, very special. And we actually, they were in their breeding season and uh, one of them chased me and I actually had to use a... Uh, a bamboo pole to uh, fight off this, yeah, this endangered, uh, really massive lizard that was chasing us. So that was a, yeah, a bit of a highlight. Also, um, in areas of uh, Papua New Guinea, where uh, yeah, visiting people that are living in a subsistence culture, uh, living off the land, yeah, seeing how they behaved and learning about their cultures was a real highlight. I don't want to get political here, but what's your take on fishing? Do you go fishing? Do you like fishing? What is it? Yeah, what? Well, yeah, Ronnie and I have spoken about this and we both uh, enjoy fishing. And I think sustainable fishing is uh, a fantastic form of recreation. 
and also a uh, way to um yeah to get your food there's probably no other way to get protein uh, less environmentally damaging than just uh, fishing with a fishing line from a boat obviously there's uh, forms of fishing that are environmentally uh, damaging with using uh, massive nets and abusing uh, resources fortunately in new south wales there's a lot of management now in our fisheries and that's uh that's you can see that really improving things things like yeah the seal colony in broken bay they probably benefit from the fisheries management in the bay but i strongly feel that there should be a marine park there should be areas along our coastline where you can't fish that way you know it gives areas for you know the dolphins and the seals to uh get their food and um yeah it would be fascinating to see how it affected all the marine life we had uh, some sanctuary zones whales are more likely to pull in and have a look we've seen whales feeding off uh forester's beach scooping up schools of fish in our area so if we had um yeah conservation areas i'm sure we'd see some more amazing wildlife i think that's the big thing like skipper saying you know two two words that really stick out uh responsible and sustainable uh, and that's the important part, you know. Um, if we keep that in mind and, and you know, and, and think about what our impact is, you know, we, we can still fish, we can still have wonderful areas and, um, you know, it's, it's a lot more better balance through the, through, um, the fishing fraternity. I, I know that Manly in Sydney, the Cabbage Tree Bay there is a no-fish zone, right? So you can't fish there even though when we go diving there we still find lures <laughs> but um you're not supposed to fish there and i think Broughton island if i am i correct I, i'm not marine parks around uh, port stevens and uh, Broughton island with uh, no fishing zones and they've been uh, very successful because of the sharks right the gray north sharks have been they're trying to protect them there as well is it like sort of they obviously get numbers of them yeah yeah, that's sort of key habitat. It'd be really worthwhile, I think, to uh, to have uh, some conservation areas. And actually, the silly thing is that it actually improves the fishing for the uh, the people in adjoining areas. So they've they've done uh, research that shows in areas with marine parks, you'll get uh, up to four times more fish caught in the adjoining areas because it allows fish to uh, grow to uh, sexual maturity and uh, to produce more more spawn and um, yeah, fish numbers increase. So at some stage, you know, as the population grows, they've got to manage the fishing in our area. At some stage, they're going to have to introduce conservation areas. The sooner they do it, you know, the more benefits they're going to be for everyone. So maybe fishing plays a role. People, it's more eyes in, in the water, right? So people are out fishing, they are seeing these things. Yeah, we, uh, Ronnie and I have gone fishing together and um, yeah, we certainly support uh, fishing. It's a very uh, healthy lifestyle and a use of the ocean. However, um, yeah, as our population grows and the number of fishermen increase, should be managed to make sure that it's, uh, it's sustainable. Do you guys, because you've de dedicated a large portion of your life to being on the ocean and you've obviously gathering a lot of information about it on a daily basis. Do you ever work with like, I know that Ronnie, you work with the, you're, well, you're a major part of the Marine Wildlife Rescue Central Coast and you guys would work with like the zoo and that, right? So, you know, do you work with scientists in any way? Is that, is that a thing? Yeah, absolutely. There's a whole network out there, whether it's Murdoch University's megafauna unit or, um, Southern Cross's uh, 
marine unit up there. Um, we're working with people like um, humpbacks and high rises. Uh, the Dolphin um, Research Institute, um, Dolphin Research Australia, uh, Taronga, as you said, the um, uh, uh, Dolphin Marine Magic up in, in Coffs. We share a lot of information with Parks and Wildlife. That's, uh, you know, the government bodies, um, the the federal bodies, you know, the Antarctic Division. We, we all share our information, which is so important um, because what we notice on the Central Coast could be something significant to what they've noticed in other areas as well. So the sharing of information is so important. And um, some of the data that... Um, skipper is actually collecting on his boat will be so important for that as well uh there's people studying the effects of climate change on whales and dolphins and the general marine um environment and you know and, and this information is just so important um to have it out there and to get it used properly it sounds very positive it sounds like skipper you mentioned that you've seen the seal population when it was it was decimated, I guess, and now it's recovering. And then you've seen, like, the whales seem to be happy. It seems like we're we're heading into a good time, right? It's quite a positive. Definitely, and uh, yeah, there's a uh, yeah, a lot of good work being done. However, um, yeah, there are other risks. So obviously, we've got uh, issues like climate change. That's obviously having a, an effect on the Antarctic, and uh, can possibly have effects on the whale's main food source, which is the krill. And there's been several studies into that that have uh, sort of indicated that uh, the krill are going to um, decline in numbers and that maybe the uh, the whale population will reach a, a threshold and then perhaps uh, and perhaps crash. There's a lot of other variables that come into it that the, their uh, modelling can't necessarily measure. So the whales may look at you know, alternate food sources, at uh, yeah, small fish, I guess every year you're a bit, I'm a bit nervous because my uh, business relies on them, uh, you know, about you know, how many are going to come through. So it's always very um, encouraging when they do. You know, a year ago, we felt very confident and happy that the, the whales were recovering and they were protected and safe. Uh, but the New South Wales government actually removed the humpback whale from the uh, New South Wales threatened species list as the population had recovered but interestingly uh, this year they're now proposing for the uh, offshore renewable energy uh, so the wind farms off uh, off the Nora head to Newcastle area that is likely to have an effect on the whales I don't think anyone can really say exactly what the effect will be the noise and the uh, increased boat activity the moorings for the wind farms now they're all potential uh, hazards for the whales bit of a concern that uh, yeah again potentially they're a threat from this uh, new industrial work very interesting so you wouldn't think about it we see the whale numbers increasing we take the whales certain whales off the endangered list and then we push through an environmental policy that could effectively maybe i guess kill whales or interfere with their migratory patterns but because they're no longer on the endangered list then that's okay yeah potentially uh 
the government may have removed a bit of red tape before this proposal, which is uh, a concern. It is very concerning. I never even thought about that. I don't know. It's like, it's, it's just like, it's all intertwined. It's like what Ronnie was saying there. It's like, everything is kind of connected. You know, your, your El Nino is connected to your visibility, which is connected to the whales, avoiding the murky areas and if these large animals were on land and, and they were very visible and we could see them, what you're doing is actually quite important. It's more important than I realized because what you're actually doing is, is you're bringing attention. All this is bringing attention to these amazing animals that are, that are essentially out of view. If, if you weren't out there on the boat doing whale tours and, you know, Ronnie wasn't on the, the land there counting the whales or, you know, our friend Mark wasn't there with his drone filming these whales and putting it on social media. Nobody would know that these creatures are going up and down, really. It's very important, I think. Yeah, we see that. Yeah, one of our big roles is to, um, yeah, people won't appreciate what they don't know about. So by getting the people out there to uh, see the whales and experience them and uh, yeah, engage with them, have a whale interact with us, you know, they'll go home, uh, yeah, appreciating the need to uh, conserve them. And yeah, same with the seals and the dolphins and you know, all the other marine life out there. If people don't uh, appreciate it, they won't uh, want to conserve it. Yeah, I think that's the whole thing, like the skipper's saying, you know, you, you watch these animals and you look at these animals and, and you, you know, you really fall in love with the animals that are in the ocean. And when you, when you do, you really start to appreciate what they're in. And you think about the problems that they face. And so when you look down, you see that chip packet or that bit of um, fishing line or a fishing hook laying on the ground, you think, well, I will pick that up so a bird doesn't ingest that. Or, you know, that bit of pay that plastic doesn't go in the ocean and end up in some per poor turtle's stomach, you know. And just people get that real ownership. And once they like these animals and, and have that ownership for them, they really want to protect them. And, and that's the key thing. It all starts at that grassroots level. You know, you don't drop the stuff in the first place, but if you do see it, you pick it up and put it in the bin or, you know, do something that constructive about it so it doesn't end up in one of these poor animals' stomachs. So tell us then, how can people get involved? What can people do to, I guess, first of all, how can they go out and see the whales? And then secondly, what can they do to make sure that the whales are, I guess, safe? What is there anything that they can do? Yeah, well, our whale watching tours, we run them every day from uh, May through to the first week of November discounted price during the week so uh, if people want to they can come out at a, uh, a cheaper rate if they can get away during the week but we've also got a lot of land-based places where people can uh, look for whales so yeah, the Terrigal Skillion we often have uh, someone as a lookout there and they can they can explain what's going on and help people find where the whales are and there's other places like uh, Captain Cook Lookout, Crack Neck, Nora Head, Soldiers Beach, uh, any high hill on the coastline at the moment, if you look for it longer than 10 minutes, you'll definitely uh, see whales. Yep, it's the greatest thing on earth to see. It's the biggest show on earth and it's right at our doorstep. You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.